0: Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Pastor and writer Sean Johnson talks openly about his own anxiety, which I find to be very refreshing. And at the beginning of his new book, he writes this. He said, several years ago, my brother Paul spent two years in prison. When he got out, my family did what we do best. We threw a party. We're from Kansas, and if there's one thing we know how to do, it's have a good time. I live out of state, so I missed the party, but I certainly heard about it. Relatives came out of the woodwork. If you would have driven by my Aunt Jane's house that day, you would have seen lawn chairs, coolers filled with Budweiser, homemade jean shorts with skull circles burned on the back pockets, NASCAR shirts if men were wearing shirts at all, and a lot of mullets. You would have also noticed a very intense game of horseshoes with all the yelling, yelling at the kids, yelling at one another, yelling at the ringers, and then between all the shouting you would have heard laughter and shall we say some colorful language. In other words, if you had driven by my Aunt Jane's house that afternoon, you would have seen a full-on Kansas party, but you would have not seen my brother, Paul. The entire thing was for him, but he wasn't participating. While the family was in the front partying all day, Paul sat on the back porch smoking cigarettes. Everyone was celebrating his freedom except him. Sometime later I asked him about this day and he said one of the most profound things I'd ever heard, he said, I was scared. I'd been locked up for two years. I had to watch everything I did and every word I said. It was all I knew, I didn't know how to stand and talk to people, I didn't know what to say or how to act, I was just terrified so I had to be in the back by myself. So without knowing it, my brother was putting words to my experience and the experience of so many Christians I've met, by law, my brother was a free man. The papers were signed, the deal was done, court adjourned. He was free, but internally he still felt like a prisoner. Paul was used to being locked up and he didn't know how to function as a free man. Listen to this next line. My brother had been set free, he just didn't know how to live free. That sentence is worth the price of the book. My brother had been set free, but he didn't know how to live free. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that we have been set free from so many things, that we've been set free from sin. It's not that we don't sin anymore, but it's that we don't have to sin anymore. We have been set free from sin, but it seems though that we're not living free because we still live under stress. We've been set free from death, like the theologian who said we don't believe in life after death, we believe in life instead of death. We have been set free from death, but we still don't know how to live free from depression. We have been set free for eternity. Eternity and God is ours. As long as we want to live and as close to Him as we want to be, we may have that, but it seems that we still don't know how to live free from this thing called anxiety, thus this teaching series this summer. We're here at the halfway point. The reason for this is to understand we've been set free to face those facts and then to be transformed by the truth that we can live free. And to see so many people wrestling with anxiety in the scripture, it resonates and it's refreshing. So we started with Moses a couple of weeks ago and and since Moses now and the person we're gonna look at today Jeremiah, 800 years has passed. Okay, now a lot has happened in that 800 years. I'm kind of setting up. We're about to read in Jeremiah 20 here in just a moment. 800 years had passed. Uh, Joshua had led the Israelites into the promised land. Uh, David, the first king, had established the capital in Jerusalem. Solomon had had built um, a temple there in Jerusalem. So the people had a land, a capital, a temple, and with it came this mindset that God has to protect His people. God is always going to watch out for us no matter what we do. He's got to protect the land and the capital and the temple. And the Israelites didn't understand that it wasn't about just the land. It wasn't about a capital city. It wasn't about a temple. It was about God's people acting like God's people. So the mentality... The majority mentality that day was MEGA to make Israel great again, and God's always gonna protect us. Then comes along a little prophet by the name of Jeremiah. In chapter one, Jeremiah says, God, how am I gonna do this? I'm only a child. God says, don't say you're only a child. You go to who I send you to, and you say what I tell you to say. So Jeremiah is the unpatriotic prophet of the Older Testament because he questions this idea that God always has to protect his people from any harm whatsoever. So I'm gonna pick up and read, uh, before we get to Jeremiah's words, I wanna give a little bit of the situation. This is in uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, in verse one, it says, the priest Pasher, son of Amor, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, he was kind of in charge of, of keeping order in the temple courts. He heard Jeremiah the prophet saying all these things, giving his patriotic prophecies that because of the people's disobedience, Babylon was going to come in and occupy the land, destroy the city, demolish the temple. All that was going to happen, and he didn't like that. He had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in stocks, and the stocks were not just there to restrain him. They were meant to torture him. The next day, Pasha released him from stocks, and Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pasher, it might have been the name your parents gave to you, but the Lord's name for you is Magor Misabib. Just a personal note, I studied Jeremiah quite a bit in seminary and, and evidently that, that word Magor Misabib somehow stuck in my subconscious. So years later when we had our first son, his name is Caleb, I give nonsense nicknames to all my kids. And so one day I just started calling him uh, Caleb Misabib. Don't know why, And then another day later on, I was reading back through there, and I go, oh, that's where that word came from. So it was perfect because he was a toddler at that time. So toddler terror was kind of his nickname during those days. The Lord's name for you is Magor Misabib, terror on every side, for this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to your friends, and with your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies." I will give all of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon and put them to the sword. I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies, all its products, valuables, treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Pasher, you, Magor Misabib, and all who live in your house will go into exile in Babylon." This is personal now. Then you will die and be buried, and you and your friends will die who have prophesied lies. So here we see Jeremiah being very bold in the face of public opinion, being very bold in the face of personal obstacles. So before we go any further, and if your Bible is like mine, it shows Jeremiah's complaint, I think it's good for us first to define what is courage. Courage is not the absence of anxiety. If you think that's what courage is, you're wrong because some of the most courageous people, i.e. Jeremiah, have dealt with anxiety. Courage is not the absence of anxiety. Courage is deciding something else is more important than your anxiety. And I think we need to look at all of our anxieties with a critical eye because sometimes the things we're afraid of, we don't need to be afraid of at all since 1886 until just recently. In that span of time, let's call it 150 years just to round it off, so in 150 years there have been only 300 shark attacks. But I know that so many people are afraid of sharks. And by the way, of those 300 shark attacks in the last 150 years, only 100 have proved fatal. Compare that with 200 people last year who were killed by deers. Think about road accidents. So we're so afraid of sharks when we should be afraid of deer. So sometimes our fears are misleading and sometimes our fears don't matter. There's a new fear, maybe you've heard of it, nomophobia. It's a shortened of the phrase, no mobile phone phobia, nomophobia. It's the fear of being without your cell phone. Half people never turn their phone off, about two-thirds of people sleep with their phone by their beds every night, and people have a growing anxiety of not having your phone or your phone dying. In fact, one-fifth of people surveyed said they would rather go without shoes for a week than go without their phone. That's all the signs of addiction. But you know what? Let's say you you are without your phone. You'll survive. Some of our fears don't matter. And so courage is not the absence of anxiety, But it is the decision that something else more important because our anxieties may be misleading, our anxieties may not matter. Something else is more important than anxiety. And so I think that's a question to ask for you if you wrestle with anxiety. What's something more important than anxiety? Now, only you can answer that question, but what we're gonna do today is say, here's what Jeremiah decided. Here are the things that were more important than his anxiety, but one more distinction I think is important to make here that that courage is not the absence of anxiety, it's something that's more important than anxiety. The other thing I would say that's very important, and please drive this one thing in, anxiety is not an identity, it is an emotion. Maybe I ought to flip that around, it'd be better to say that anxiety is an emotion, not your identity. Be careful, because so often we can say, oh, I'm an anxious person. And our anxiety becomes an identity. Anxiety is an emotion. If if it's your identity, it, it seems to be immovable. But if it's an emotion, you go, you know what? Maybe what I need to do here is deal with how I process my emotions. And so to put anxiety not as something that's in us, but something that's around us that we can have more of a say of whether we let it in or not. So here, Jeremiah seems to be so courageous But courage is not the absence of anxiety, it's deciding that something else is more important than anxiety. Let's look at what it was for Jeremiah. By the way, the rest of chapter 20 is just a long prayer. And um, one person I read recently, he said, most people's prayer life just proves to be a pious coma, not if you're talking to God about what's really real. And that's what Jeremiah is and there's no coma in this complaint. He is fully awake and fully aware of everything that's going on. And he has to pour these things out to acknowledge what is more important to him than his anxiety. Verse seven, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me, and I prevailed, and you prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, indeed I cannot. So, Jeremiah complains to God about God. And there's a couple of complaints that he had here. First of all, he felt deceived, so here's, here's the way a prophet's world would work. A prophet would give a prophecy, and this is actually teased out in Scripture. He gives a prophecy, a prediction about the future. If that prediction comes to pass, then that prophet is given the stamp of authenticity and we should listen to him in the future, right? It makes sense. So, Jeremiah had given a prophecy about something that would happen in the future, but there was an incredibly, unbearingly long time lag between his prophecy and the fulfillment of that. So that in this long interlude in between time, people are saying, you said the Babylonians were going to invade. Looks like they're not doing that right now. And so, Jeremiah has given this prophecy, but the time lag got so long that people just thought he was a false prophet. Jeremiah had trouble dealing with the timing of God on these situations. So now, all of Jeremiah's prophecies would come to pass remarkably accurate. So much so that during Daniel's day, they wondered how long the exile was gonna last. They quoted Jeremiah. They they said, here's what, what Jeremiah said. So he was trusted, but not yet. In the intermediate time, in the short term, it was none of these things have come to pass. God, you've hung me out to dry. His other complaint about God to God is, okay, I'm not, I'm not, God, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I've had enough. I'm not speaking anymore. He said, but I can't do that. Your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't help but just speak the truth. Guard dogs, excuse me, guide dogs for the blind, they practice something called intelligent disobedience, that if their owner, who's blind, asks them to do something, and because their lack of sight, they don't understand it would put them in harm. The dog is trained to... Practice intelligent disobedience to disobey the command in order to protect the life of their owner. Jeremiah wants so much to practice that. This disobedience to protect himself. But he just can't do it. So, So do you see it? What does he value more than his anxiety? He values obedience to God. So I need to turn this to you. And I'm not saying you have to value this more, I'm saying as Christ followers we probably should, but what do you value more than your anxiety? Perhaps we're to value obedience. That I'm gonna do the next right thing, not because it feels right, but because this is what God has led me to do, called me to do, this is obedience to Him as best I understand it. So whatever the personal cost, uh, this may surprise you, I, I love being a communicator, Uh, but it it shreds my nerves. Even today, even, you know, 30 years into doing ministry, I wake up on Sunday morning and gravity around the bed feels double. It takes everything in me to kind of get up and get going. And once I get moving, I'm fine, but it's that instinct of this is a scary day, right? What do you value more than your anxiety? Maybe it should be obedience. So then he goes on, verse 10, I hear many whispering that their whispers are their wishes, terror on every side, denounce him. Let's denounce him. All all my friends are waiting for me to slip. Perhaps he will be deceived and we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Jeremiah knows that he is not a success in the court of public opinion. And he knows exactly what everyone is saying around him and it hurts. And he knows what people are saying. But what matters more to him than his anxiety over this intimidation is integrity. Again, maybe something more important to us than our anxiety is obedience to God. And maybe something more important than our anxiety among other people and their intimidation is integrity. You know, there's a company in the UK now, and I'm sure there's some in the United States that protect a person from cyberbullying it's cyberbully insurance and it will cover the cost if you know if you have to change accounts it covers the cost even if you have to move and relocate well there's a simpler slu- solution if you're cyberbullied log off just log off if if you can now maybe work related and you can't but but if it's just personal just log off and if it doesn't get to you it doesn't exist really I call us as followers of Jesus in a bullying world, in a world of intimidation to practice integrity. And here's what it means. The world is pitting right against left. The world is pitting people against all kinds of different issues and agendas. What we do with people who might consider us to be their enemies and who we're tempted to think they are our enemies, here's a little mantra, love them anyway, because when our When we are intimidated, it's so easy to want to fight back. But our integrity demands that we obey the teachings of Jesus instead. And what does he say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Could it be, and I've said this before, but maybe this is the first time you're going to hear it. Could it be that God might introduce somebody into your life who might appear as an enemy, And the only reason God does that is because there's no one else in the world who is praying for them. So if they're introduced to us as an enemy and we do what we are commanded by Jesus to do, and that is pray for them, then finally somebody is interceding to God on their behalf. But this requires us not being afraid of the intimidation anxious over the intimidation and responding with integrity. So, Jeremiah complains to God about God. He complains to God about the people around him. Then he complains to God about himself. And I'm going to skip a few verses here, go down to verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. There it is. What Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and other folks we're going to look at on down the line, what they all have in common is they They just didn't want to exist anymore. Uh, They wanted to be annihilated. I would be better not to exist at all than to exist like this. Cursed be the day I was born, the day my mother bore me, may it not be blessed. Cursed is the man who brought my father the news, who gave him a glad saying, a child is born to you a son. May that man be like the towns that the Lord overthrew without pity, referring to Sodom and Gomorrah. May, (laughs) it's a bad curse. to. Bring on somebody who just brought your father news that you were born. May he hear wailing in the morning and the battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see this trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? So Jeremiah complains about God. He complains about others. He even complains about himself. So in this whole teaching series so far, we have yet to talk about suicide. Anxiety builds, it gives way to depression. As depression builds, and there seems to be no end in sight, many people do consider suicide. And this is not a direct reference to suicide, but some of these words may be found in the mind of a person who is thinking about suicide. Uh, Don Ritchie lives in Australia, and he lives right next to the entrance of Sydney Harbor at a particular spot called The Gap. It's a cliff that overlooks Sydney Harbor. And on average, one person a week takes their life at this spot. It is the suicide spot in Australia. Somebody goes to the cliff, they jump off. So Don Ritchie has lived there for 50 years, and so he wakes up every morning, looks out at the cliff, and he can almost tell, by the way, somebody is walking around the cliff, whether they are thinking about suicide or they're just looking at the scene. He just knows. And so this six-foot... Two gentlemen walks out to the cliff. He's in his 80s now, six foot two, raspy voice. He walks up behind a person and says, listen, would you just like to come in and have tea? And Don Ritchie is credited for saving, I think at last count, about 150 lives. Can't save everyone, but those he can get there in time. He invites them in for tea and conversation. And just knowing someone cares changes everything. If you have or you are toying with suicide today, I would tell you that somebody cares. And they're not inviting you in for tea. They're inviting you in for a relationship. Instead of taking your life, would you consider giving your life? You're trying to do it on your own. And you've discovered that you can't. And so instead of taking your life, if you give your life to somebody else, you might discover that there is someone who is worth all the anxiety to overcome all of that, to be obedient to him, to live a life of integrity, and to discover this something more than anxiety, to discover life, that you have been set free and you can live free under the lordship of Jesus. So that's where we come to battling anxiety. And in the scripture, there seems to be two great weapons, spiritual weapons, against battling anxiety. We'll come to the other one in a few weeks. It's prayer, that's a personal way of battling anxiety. And there's so many scriptures about battling anxiety in a personal time of prayer. But there's also a corporate attack on anxiety and it's worship. So we skip part of this. Let's just go back to verse 13 because it captures the essence. Here in the middle of all of his complaint, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. In the middle of all this concern and complaint over anxiety, Jeremiah worships. Now what's interesting is this is the last complaint of Jeremiah in the rest of his book. Not to say he didn't continue to deal with anxiety, but he stops complaining about it and he discovers that there's more, there's things more important than anxiety, his obedience, his integrity, his life, and he lives it to the full. And the weapon he uses to combat anxiety is worship. Worship is essential. Um, I'll Be very honest with you, I'm, I'm disturbed at the trend I've seen develop since COVID that a lot of people say, well, I just worship at home. No, you don't, you watch at home. Uh, Well, I I watch so-and-so pastor, you know, a national figure, I, 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 I listen to his sermons and that's my worship time. No, it's not. You're watching. Worship is not about a sermon. Worship is not about the songs. Worship is about being in the community of people who follow Jesus and together exalting the name of God, together understanding how big God is and how close God is. We need that reminder at least on a weekly basis to understand what's really real, to understand we have been set free and we can live free. We are worshiping beings. We will worship something. And if we end up worshiping ourselves, which is where Jeremiah is towing the line on, we will be miserable. It's when we worship God that we understand that we are made to be eternal in His presence forever. Forever. So I want to give you a moment. And I know the irony of this is you are watching me online. Cannot emphasize enough. If you're in Tulsa, you need to be in a worshiping community. I'd love it if you were here. You need it. Um, but, but if not here, be in a worshiping community somewhere. If you're not in Tulsa, and this is your substitute for being a part of a worshiping community, hey, you know what? Uh, you can access this anytime. But on Sunday morning or Saturday, whenever a local church meets, you need to be in worship. Sing to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. But could I invite you this moment right now to worship? Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote the story of of people at sea, such a bad storm. All the passengers were below deck praying and you, you can imagine the water coming through the the decks of the ship down to the hole below and finally one passenger couldn't take it anymore. He, he went up to the top, just, just opened the, the, the deck plate just enough to look out and see the captain who had lashed himself to the wheel of the boat and was steering it in the middle of the sea. And the captain made eye contact with the passenger and gave him a reassuring look. And the passenger went down below and reported to the others. He said, I've seen the face of the captain, all is well. So worship is when we see the face of our God and know that even when we face anxiety, there are some things more important than anxiety. So would you just hear the scriptures that we have used the last three weeks and the fourth week and let's worship through them for just a moment. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Let that be your prayer to God right now. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Let that be your proclamation today. You are not in darkness, you're in light. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Let those words be your protection. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Isaiah 41, our verse for this week that I would encourage you to memorize. So do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let God today for you be personal. Lord God, I pray for everyone who hears this message today. I don't pray that you would take our anxiety away from us because our anxiety may be a very, very tool that you're using to draw us closer in. But we would decide that some things are more important than our anxiety. Things like integrity, things like obedience, things like life. And if anyone is going it alone today, may a simple yes suffice that they invite you into their lives, that we do not need to fear, for you are with us. That we do not need to be dismayed, for you are our God, that you will strengthen us help us, and uphold us, come what may. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever, amen.